Silence is beneficial. Silence is important when you're in a conversation to really listen to someone well. Silence is helpful when you have times where you want to process and just get away from the noise, maybe analyze, go a little deeper. Silence can be very refreshing, and there's a refueling that comes. In silence, you can meet with God. Silence is a blessing, and oftentimes, silence is the right choice. It's good. But there are other times when it's not the right choice. And how do we sort through that? And how do we know when to be silent and when to speak? God has given all of us a gift, and it's the gift of speaking words. These are words of life. The Bible says your tongue has the power of life, life life-giving words that change other people's lives. The power, think about your body, what's more powerful than your tongue? Your tongue has so much power. And the half-brother of Jesus, James, unpacks it. You could dive into James chapter 3. Right now, we're going to stay in Mark, and we're going to look at the story of a man who really had the weight of, his, of the world on his shoulders. Do you ever feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders? And do you ever get weary? Are you heading into these holidays a little bit weary, a little bit weighed down? And this is a man who found his voice. First he found Jesus, and then he found his voice, and then he found his vision. And all of this is the grace of God. This is a story about the grace of God and someone in need who's weary and crying out to Jesus. In the same way, we can cry out to Jesus. This man is Bartimaeus, and he made a decision. Uh, If you could repeat after me these three phrases. The first one is persistent prayer. Passionate praise. Public proclamation. Let's do that one more time. Persistent prayer. Passionate praise. Public proclamation. Those are the choices that he made. And we're going to look at this text, four truths that inspire and I believe give us courage today. We're going to start in chapter 10, verse 46 as we take a look at that first verse in the passage. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. Here's the first truth. Everyone's voice is significant, including yours. Your voice is just as significant as everyone else. And this is something Bartimaeus would probably internally have to wrestle through because there were many reasons why he could conclude that his voice was not that significant. Jesus was passing through 15 miles northeast of Jerusalem. Jesus had a destination. Jesus was going somewhere. It would be easy for Bartimaeus to think Jesus is going somewhere. He has people to see. He has things to do. He has a destination. Maybe my voice is not that important. He could have concluded that. Also with a large crowd. Sometimes in a large crowd, you feel like, well, who am I? I mean, there's so many people and needs and voices and noise and requests. I mean, would God ever notice me in a large crowd? He could have have thought that. I mean, here I am, just one more person in this crowd. Also, he's blind. He can't see like others can see. He can conclude maybe his voice isn't that important as well. 
He was blind, which in that culture, sadly, was often considered a curse. And he was told frequently the lie that you're blind because you've sinned. And imagine if you've heard that all the time. Your condition is a curse. It's because of your sin. Just imagine how that would give you a propensity to stay silent if you've been beaten up with words throughout your life. And then he was a beggar. In that culture, beggars so often were unemployed. And if you've had a time in your life where you weren't employed, and maybe you desired to be employed, but you weren't employed, and people told you you're not employable, that would do a lot to your self-worth. That would do a lot as people declared that over you. But he was not wanted, and he had poverty. Can you relate to that feeling of not being wanted and just wondering maybe how the next bill is going to get paid? Do you see how he could have some sense of inferiority, a false inferiority, and just settle into that and be silent? We all have reasons why we choose silence when it's not the best choice. So often silence is not going to get the job done. When it comes to prayer, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. You have not because you're silent. Sometimes with praise, God is worthy of our praise, but for whatever reason, we stay silent. When it comes to blessing people and building people up and telling people about Jesus, there's so many opportunities every day, but oftentimes we're silent, silent. And it'd be easy for Bartimaeus to just join the silent revolution. But instead, this is what he does. His level of desire for Jesus increases, and then his level of desperation increases. His level of devotion to Jesus increases. And all of that is a good thing. You know it would be a good thing today? And if in my heart and in our hearts, our level of desire for Jesus would increase, our level of desperation for Jesus would increase, our level of devotion to Jesus would increase like Bartimaeus. And I highlight that because Bartimaeus, I think, is someone we can learn from. I think he's someone who's inspiring. He didn't even have any idea at the time just how inspiring he was, but he was running after Jesus. When you choose to run after Jesus, you're going to have no idea who and how you're going to inspire other people. But this is an empowering text, and I, I pray that as we go through this text, we would feel empowered today in our relationship with God, in the gifts, the love, the voice God has given you, and the difference you can make in the culture around you. So first, everyone's voice is significant, including yours. And in this first part, it's just to believe that. It's just to say, yes, God, you've given me a voice. You've given me an opportunity. My voice is significant. And you say, well, what if I'm not squeaky clean in the past? Or what if I'm not as gifted like some other people? Or what if I'm scared? And what if, what if, what if? There's always going to be a lot of what ifs. But believe that God has given you a voice, and he's given you this opportunity, and it's a gift. And uh, your voice is powerful. It has words of life are on your tongue. That's the place to start, which is biblical. I say, well, where do we go from there? And this next part gets a little more challenging. Uh, let's take a look at verse 47. Verse 47. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, the second part here, and it's really an action, is to start saying the name of Jesus. 
in public settings. In public settings. That's where he's saying the name of Jesus. This isn't just confined to the temple. He's out in public. And you say, well, how am I going to do that? Well, the Holy Spirit will guide you. You know, what's that going to look like? There's a number of ways that it can play out in your life. But the first part is just to say, God, I'm willing. I'm willing. Yes, it's good to say Jesus' name alone. And it's outstanding to say Jesus' name in the home, in that context. It's completely fitting to praise the name of Jesus. We've been singing all morning about the great name of Jesus. And that fits in the church. But what about that other realm beyond the walls of the church, beyond the walls of our home? Now, as you think about Jericho and you saw this name, your mind might go back in the Old Testament, Joshua, there's Jericho, this city. It seemed like you couldn't penetrate Jericho, but God gave Joshua, the commander at that time, kind of a unique approach. It was so unique that Joshua probably felt crazy. There's going to be some faith steps that are so unique, God leads you to, that you might even feel like, is this crazy? But this was what God told Joshua to do in Jericho. Start walking around, and then another day, walk around, another day, walk around. Seven days, walk around, and then what happens before the walls come down? A shout of public praise to God. The greatness of God, my confidence is in God, I've been listening to God, I want to glorify God, and the walls come down. In this place in the Old Testament where there was this significant step of faith, a public praise to God, God brought a miracle and the walls came down. Now we fast forward to our text here in Mark chapter 10, and that ancient city is no longer there. Now we're one mile south. And as we go one mile south, we see that this new city has been built by Herod the Great. Well, why did Herod the Great build another Jericho? That was his winter palace. He wanted a winter palace, and he chose Jericho. Some people here might have a summer palace and a winter palace. I don't know why the winter palace is always in Arizona, but it, it just is. It just is. So uh, you understand the concept here. He built up Jericho. It was just going to be this place where uh, he would enjoy uh, the winter palace. And then what happens in this place? Well, we have Bartimaeus, and Bartimaeus cries out, Son of David. There's a lot of names for God in the Bible. Some of them we say often. Some of them we don't say as often. Son of David is probably not one that you hear in a lot of songs. Son of David is probably not one you hear in your life group. Son of David, what's the significance of saying son of David? Well, this is a messianic title. It would be, in our language, Jesus Messiah. And I'll tell you, in the Jewish culture, it was bold and radical to say this is the Messiah right here. And today, it's still bold and radical, even though Jesus is Jewish and he fulfilled every Old Testament prophecy, it's still bold and radical to declare that Jesus is the Messiah. He came from the line of David, and that was promised. 2 Samuel chapter 7 in the Old Testament, God declared to David that, yes, in your lineage, the Messiah's going to come. You'll always have a descendant on the throne. This descendant, the Savior of the world, is going to be in your lineage. Lineage, David. 
This was a promise that the Jewish people were very familiar with. The Israelites were looking forward to this. In fact, as you think about Christmas time, one of those classic texts is Isaiah chapter 9. And this is another prophecy. Looking ahead, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne. There it is. And over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it. The name of Jesus, son of David, here he is, the Messiah, in this blind beggar, while many people are missing it, The irony that a blind beggar sees it so clearly. Everyone's looking down upon the blind beggar. He's looking up to the Messiah and fearlessly declaring in front of everyone, this is the Messiah. Don't miss the Messiah. My faith is in this one, the son of David. And when you hear that, that might stir you to think, maybe I've been a little quiet in our culture about the son of David. And it doesn't mean you have to use the word son of David, but you see what's happening here. Because the fact is, there's no other name like the name of Jesus. This isn't religion, this is relationship. There's no other name under heaven given to us by which we may be saved. There's no name like the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is the name above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess and knee will bow. That's in heaven and earth and under the earth to the glory of God the Father. There's nothing to be ashamed about the name of Jesus. It's the only name that is so good and holy and faithful and wonderful and true. And this blind beggar, son of David, the name of Jesus You know what the prayer team is doing? As you think about, and I added a couple pictures here, uh, the prayer team going out into the community beyond the walls of church, beyond the parking lot, and as you think about their ministry, they're publicly holding up signs. Now, some people are going to say thank you when they drive by. Other people, they're going to say a few words we're not going to repeat in church (laughs) when they drive by. Not everyone is going to come up and say thank you. Some people might come up and say some other things. But you know what? They just continue to say we're here to pray for you. They continue publicly to say God loves you and you're not alone. And so people drive up and you don't know who's going to drive up. You don't know the situation. Someone might have cancer. Someone might have just had a breakup. Someone might be thinking about suicide. Someone has questions about God. But I'll tell you, people are ready as they drive by. People are hurting. They're ready. And they'll pray. They'll pray together. They'll listen. They'll pray. And I shared this picture because a lot of these pictures were a little earlier when it was brighter and a little warmer. But I'll tell you, when you shift into this season, it's a little darker and colder and just being realistic, you know, drive through prayer, it's still there. It's still there. It's a public proclamation that God answers prayer, that God cares, and we're going to seek him together. 2021, what is God saying to you? The conviction that I've had is that more than ever before, 
it's time in public settings to humbly and boldly proclaim the name of Jesus. It's time. If it wasn't so biblical, maybe I couldn't say it, but I just it jumps off the pages, doesn't it? When you read about Jesus and the church, it's just like it just jumps off the pages, book after book after book. So where does that lead us? Here's the third piece to it. Turn your pain into a persistent and passionate prayer. Turn your pain into a persistent and passionate prayer. Now let's take a look at verse 48. Many rebuked him, and they told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet, and he came to Jesus. You know, pain can be the fuel that leads to purpose and passion and connecting purpose and passion. God redeems a lot of the pain in our lives. God also heals, and eventually God will fully remove all the pain in heaven. And it's one of the reasons we look forward to heaven, because the pain will be gone. But in the middle of the darkest times, God often does his greatest work. And I ask you, do you have any pain today that you've been feeling? And maybe that's relational pain or financial pain. Maybe it's pain about what someone said to you or how they treated you. Uh, pain about your job situation. What kind of pain are you walking into this room experiencing today? And that's where we connect with Bartimaeus because this is a man in a lot of pain. The pain is piled on. He's in a situation that he doesn't want and he doesn't like. Can you relate? Any situations right now you're going through that you didn't want and you don't really like that's where Bartimaeus is in the text and you think okay so they're going to leave him alone no they actually pile on more and more layers of pain have you had people do that like you're already maxed out in pain and then here comes more pain and another pain and then someone else is going to pile that pain and then additional pain comes on in Bartimaeus it's like piles and piles of pain many rebuked him not just a couple it wasn't just three over here or four over there or two right there many rebuke him he didn't deserve it you read the text he didn't deserve it he's told to be quiet and the verb is they keep doing it. It wasn't like all at once they said, Bartimaeus, be quiet. Bartimaeus, he was getting shushed. Shh, quiet. Enough of that. We don't want to hear it. Just beg. Just stay blind. Just stay exactly how it is right now. Bartimaeus, quiet. We're done with it. The enemy tries to silence you and block what is good. And this is the key moment, and this is a hinge in the text, and this is a part I love. I hope this inspires you. The Bible says that he shouted all the more. The more they told him to be quiet and be silence in that culture, he shouted all the more. Boldly and humbly, he publicly What's he going to do? Persistently pray, passionately praise, and publicly proclaim. He's not going to stop. He's going to do it all the more. And in this humble fashion, he recognizes 
his inability. God, I can't get a job on my own strength. God, look at this crowd. I can't change their hearts. Look at their perceptions of me. I can't change that. God, I can't fix my vision. Do you know what's healthy spiritually? It's just to recognize our inability. God, I can't have it all together. I can't be a perfect Christian. God, the marriage, it's just not easy. God, parenting, it just it challenges me. The decisions to make this week with my time, like, God, I need your help. That's a really healthy place to be spiritually. Instead of faking it, because God always sees through that, we just come and we acknowledge our inability. And we're seeking the Lord. And we're crying out this persistent prayer. When you think back, and if you've been walking with God for a long time, and you've been praying, think back about some of those answers to prayer when you persistently prayed. And I say, if you're here today and prayer's new, we're honored, we're thrilled you're here. We just want to walk with you and, and just teach you how to pray. Uh, none of us have it down. We're all learning, but we can grow with prayer. I think back at persistent prayer. There was a time uh, in seminary as I was going off to seminary and I had no money. And I looked at what four years would cost in Dallas, Texas. And my prayer, and there was a lot of doubt, is that even though I had no money going in, I would graduate with no debt. And I've started praying that every single day fervently. And uh, I graduated to the glory of God with no debt. God provided every penny. After seminary, I went to Iowa City, and this is a city that spiritually is extremely dark, and other campuses in Iowa, there was a lot of ministry happening. Uh, And and what God did as we as a team consistently, persistently praying together, God brought revival in that city. And he answered prayer. And we saw a college group go from about 20 people to 800 people. And people come to the Lord every week. And God answered persistent prayer. I, I wasn't married until my mid-30s. And a shout out to anyone who's single. Uh, sometimes if you're single, people might look down upon you. Sometimes they have some weird analysis. And they say some things that maybe they're trying to be well-intentioned. But they just slam you. you know, and, and you're just you're walking with God. And you're not second rate. And I just waited and praying and crying out for the right person waiting and then God brought Lori in my mid-30s I thought like what an answer to prayer I'm so grateful for Lori and for a relationship and uh and I just think back and you can think back it's Thanksgiving time different seasons of your life where you persistently prayed in a situation it might have been this or that but you didn't give up you continued to pray you saw a breakthrough you saw what God did and that fuels us as we read about Bartimaeus here to refuse to be silent but to persistently pray to actually be more focused on Jesus more vocal with our praise and to not hold back. You know, what if he didn't? What if he didn't say anything? What if he didn't say, Son of David? What if he didn't persistently? What if he didn't praise God? What if he didn't proclaim in a public spot? What if he didn't? How would this text play out? Well, I think it would have just been everything kind of stays the same. I don't think we'd be reading about a healing or restoration or inspiring. I think it would have just been things kind of stayed the same. And sometimes in our lives, in our walk with God, there has to be this stirring that I don't want just the status quo. I know God has more. 
And Jesus is here, and I'm going to reach out. I'm going to cry out. I'm going to drop my pride. I don't want things to stay the same in my life, in our city, in our country right now. When I see some conditions in the nations, I don't want things to stay the same. And that fuels me to cry out to God. Or else things can just stay the same. Just stay silent. Stay the same. Try to say this is as good as it gets even though we all know it's not, Jesus responds and Jesus calls him. Leviticus 25. One thing I, so great as you study the Bible is you'll see like something in the Old Testament that's a principle. And in Leviticus 25, care for people who are in poverty, who are in need. With God's compassion, care for them. So you read about that. And then with Jesus, you see him live that out. And he's the embodiment, the fulfillment. He's living out the commands of God. Because the commands of God, it's not just letter of the law, it's spirit of the law, it's life. It's how we do life. And you see that with Jesus. And so he says, you know, cheer up, be courageous, stand up. The man's excited. He throws off his cloak, jumps to his feet, and he comes to Jesus. Here's something that's always challenged me. You have as much of Jesus in your life as you want. I have as much of Jesus in my life as I want. This man has as much of Jesus in his life as he wants. God will fill those who are hungry and thirsty. And this man is hungry. This man is thirsty. And Jesus says, come up. And this man's eager and excited and he's motivated I think of David, who was a man after God's own heart. You say, did David mess up? Oh, David messed up. David messed up. Murder? Yes. Adultery? Yes. You know, failure in parenting? Yes, 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 yes. David's the kind of one that if he showed up to church, he'd say, yeah, maybe he shouldn't lead a life group. Maybe he shouldn't you know, be an elder. Maybe he shouldn't be a greeter. Like, David, can you just sneak in the back and then head home real quick? You know, honest how church works sometimes. Like, that would be David. But that's not how God sees David. Our failures don't define us. The grace of God, it abounds. And and David, man after God's own heart, and he's pouring out his heart to God. And in Psalm 6, verse 2, Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. Do you ever feel like that? Do you actually know it's okay and good to talk to God? He already knows but now you're connecting with God. And, he's, and he prays, he says, How long, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. And to cry out because of God's unfailing love. We have hope. We are not consumed. God cares. God answers prayer. David knows this. Bartimaeus knows this. The church was birthed in prayer and receiving the Holy Spirit. And not much has really changed. The opportunity of a lifetime for Bartimaeus, right here in Mark chapter 10. 2021 could be the opportunity of a lifetime for you personally to seek Jesus, for the church in America to seek Jesus. What an important, important time that we're living in historically right now. What an important time as Jesus was passing by for Bartimaeus. He wasn't going to be passing by later on, but he was passing by right now. Spiritually, you got to be discerning. Signs of the times, 
what's going on. It's not just a clock that runs. It's not just November, whatever. Spiritually, there's a calendar and there's windows. And you've got to make the most of the opportunity. And Bartimaeus understood it. Now, this is how the passage closes. And we're in verse 51. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. What a question. Jesus has powerful questions. What a question. What do you want me to do? If Jesus was standing right here in the flesh and said, what do you want me to do? What would you say today? Well, he doesn't just say it here. It's kind of throughout the Bible. Let me show you another passage in Mark. Mark chapter 11, verses 22 to 24. This is what Jesus says. Have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it'll be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Now, this verse has been twisted. This is not a blank check to just be self-centered. This is not like I'm asking for money for a plane this week, church. Go ahead and give me that one. You know, you can take this verse in all sorts of creative ways, but this right here is a challenge to all of us to have faith and not doubt that God wants to move mountains. In other words, the impossible becomes the possible. And how do we do that? We unite together, believing, trusting him. Our prayers align with his will and his word and with the spirit and watch what God will do. So if God said to Grace Community Church right now, what do you want me to do? We couldn't really say provide an expansive building in a great location because that's already here, right? If, if we say, what do, you, what do we want God to do? We couldn't really say, well, we'd like to be out of debt because that $2.3 million is now gone, right? If God said, you know, what do you want me to do? Well, we couldn't really say, have a wonderful united staff that just loves Jesus because God's already provided that too. And if we said, what do you want? We couldn't really say, have a wonderful church family. It's multi-generational, multicultural. It's following Jesus together, abiding and responding, because God's provided that. So we thank God for what he's given. But how would you respond? What do we want Jesus to do? And I look at some of the prayers in the Bible. And Habakkuk prayed, God, we've heard of what you've done in the past, and we stand in awe of you. God, would you do it in our time? What we could pray is that there'd be a move and a work of the Spirit for such a time as this. What we could pray, Jesus saw the crowds harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. What we could pray is that followers of Jesus would come alive. And we could pray that they would be on mission where they live, work, learn, or play, and they would find their voice, and they would break out beyond the walls of the church. Well, Psalm 2 says, Ask, and I will give the nations unto you. And yes, there were times when God provided the promised land, but we could ask that God would so bless us, he has in a lot of ways, that we would bless the nations like never before. We could ask God, 
for a move of the Spirit, we could ask God that we would use our gifts and our voices for him where we live, work, learn, and play. And we could ask God that the nations would be blessed in such a way that we've never seen before. That's a prayer. Jesus says, what do you want? And you know what's interesting when he asks, what do you want? Bartimaeus says rabbi. Remember the first term was son of David, the Messiah, general. Now this term rabbi, rabboni, and this is an extremely personal Now it's not just the facts that he's risen, but this is my God, my rabbi, the one I trust, the one I follow. When Jesus appeared after the resurrection, Mary Magdalene was there, and she thought Jesus was the gardener. She was still getting her focus, resurrection focus, spiritual focus, and then when Jesus called out to her, Mary, because he will get personal with you, When you're a little spiritually confused and you're just trying not sure and you say, reach out, Jesus gets personal. And she says, Rabboni, my God, my Lord, the one I follow, not my spouse, not my friends, not my parents, not the other people and the pastors in the church, my God. And that's important that you would say to Jesus, my God, my Savior, Lord, the one I follow and trust, I follow, I'm owning it. And and this increase is happening. And as he says that name, you just think again about the irony that the one who can't see already sees. Have you seen those Oculus, uh, the kind of toys for the kids, virtual reality? You strap it on your head, and, and then the kids start to do movements, and they enter in. And it's like they're in a room, but actually they're just in this virtual reality, and they're playing the game, and they're doing things, and they're active. And I think about that, you know, spiritually, it's almost like Bartimaeus is in one setting, and there's a lot of people who are throwing shade at him, but he is so focused on Jesus He is in a greater reality than what the noise and the voices are saying. He's entered into this reality that's even more real than what's there. And he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus before he actually sees. You need to see Jesus. You need to enter in and focus into that reality and not give the other voices too much power. Because when you see Jesus and make Jesus your focus, some things are going to change in the other environment. I've got to keep going here. Uh, Let's start to wrap this up. He says, I want to see. And it's a win-win. Of course, God's going to move in power right here. Does God always answer prayers for healing? No. No, he doesn't. When you don't see God's hand, just continue to trust his heart. Because sometimes you're going to persistently pray and you're not going to see the miracle that you desire. But trust his heart and we'll get more answers later from God. Uh, Not that we're entitled, but we'll have a greater understanding down the road. So continue to trust him. But I want to see, and Jesus is going to heal him. And going back to Isaiah, the Messiah, the son of David, when he comes, he's going to heal blind eyes. The Bible says that the devil right now is trying to block people's vision, their spiritual vision. The devil right now is working so that people will be blinded and not see who Jesus is. And when Jesus shows up and brings physical sight, it's a representation that Jesus also is going to show up. Scales are going to fall off eyes like the 
Well, now he's the Apostle Paul. He was Saul. Scales fell off his eyes. He was blind. Jesus has the power. Someone that's been blind for decades spiritually, their lives can be changed. My grandpa came to know Jesus in his 70s, completely blind spiritually for so long. And it's like the scales fell off. He saw Jesus, put his trust in Jesus, had strokes and died. And I'll tell you, God can do miracles today in the physical realm. God does even the best miracle of salvation in the spiritual realm. But don't miss that for Bartimaeus, the level of desire for Jesus increased. The level of desperation. I know in America, we don't like to look desperate. Looking desperate ain't cool. We like to have it together. Social media, nobody looked desperate. But I'll tell you where God meets people is when they're desperate. It's not when they're fake and when they're proud. That's not really where God shows up. God shows up when people get real. And they open up their hearts, and they're authentic, and they let him into the pain. That's where God moves. And so God moves here. This level of desperation leads to a level of devotion. The louder the opposition, the louder the worship. If you've got nothing else today, the louder the opposition in our culture, the louder the worship of Jesus. That's what Bartimaeus does. Here's the last one. When the critics tell you to be quiet and shrink back into the corner... That's exactly when you honor Jesus and choose faith over feelings and fears. Here's another way to summarize these three words right here. I think these are significant. There's a lot here, but order, disorder, reorder. Bartimaeus had an order to his life. You go to the road, you beg, you're blind, you kind of get picked on. That was the order. But then there was disorder. Jesus was passing by. And there were voices that told him, no, you can't have it. There's no potential. Not you. You're inferior. Stay quiet. And there was disorder. But then what did he do? By faith. And there's a reorder to his life. I'll tell you, the Reformation, there was a form. It was religious. It was messed up. And then there was disorder. What are these 95 statements, Martin Luther? Now there's a reordering and a reformation, a reforming. I believe that we had an order, and then we had a pandemic, and now there's a, there was disorder, and there's a reorder that's happening, even revival. So what do you do in the middle of that? It's faith. Faith. We walk by faith. Well, what does faith look like? It's kind of broad. This is what faith looks like. Persistent prayer, passionate praise, public proclamation. Can you just say that after I say it? Persistent prayer. Passionate praise. Public proclamation. We just do what Bartimaeus is doing. Spurgeon concluded by saying, Does not all nature around me praise God? If I were silent, I should be an exception to the universe. With all of nature praising God. And what's the message? Jesus is worthy. People say, how does Mark know Bartimaeus' name? Well, I like how the story ends. It ends with him just following Jesus, abiding and responding. So what happens after the miracle? And what happens after all that? Well, you follow Jesus. It was said his name was known because he just became part of the faith community and he lived for God and he was faithful. Now that's historical. We can't read about that in text, but that's what he did. What do you do when God does a great work in your life? With gratitude, you humbly follow God and just continue by faith persistently praying, passionately praising, and publicly proclaiming that this is the Messiah, Jesus, and his name is above all names. Bold and humble for the Lord.
Uh, if you're here today and you want to make a decision after hearing this message and hearing about Jesus and the greatness of Jesus, every weekend we give these five options, and every weekend people are making decisions. So this is an opportunity, if it's online or on campus, just to text the word or come up to the prayer team afterwards and say, I want to follow Jesus for the first time. I'm here and I'm ready to follow Jesus. Or I'm ready to be baptized. I'm ready to have a church home. I'm ready to get in community in a life group. I'm ready to serve God. I want to serve God. And you don't have to know everything, but on the other side of yes, God will guide and just let us know so that our team can walk with you. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for someone like Bartimaeus who reminds us that other people's voices and the culture and their perceptions and even sometimes the limitations and the mean things they say and do doesn't have the final say. God, we thank you for an empowering text like this that reminds us, God, of our response in the difficult times. Reminds us there's victory. Reminds us there's restoration. Reminds us that you answer prayer. Reminds us of your greatness, Jesus. Reminds us of how we want to live. We don't just want to be silent when it's time to speak. God, when it's time to be silent, help us to be silent. Help us not to speak. But when it's time to speak, God, forgive us for being silent. Thank you, God, for the encouragement today. Lead us by your spirit for such a time as this. In Jesus' name, amen. Yo, subscribe to the YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to this channel.